Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Add to the Bone. As we promised you in the last episode, today we have a very unique guest. His name is Jonas Altman, and according to his LinkedIn profile, he is a founder, coach, and author. I think he's much more than that. Uh, in today's episode, actually today's episode is an extension of the previous one we recorded with Ara. We talk about work culture, employee motivation, and the role that great companies and employers have in the world. In this case, you don't have to be add to the bone, just curious from an entrepreneurship, employer, or employee point of view. Let's begin. It's, it's funny because this question has come up probably in one of the past interviews around expert generalists and never really deciding what you want to do when you grow up. And I read a stat that said that only two out of 10 people really know what they want to do when they're a kid, when someone asks them, and then do that. Policewoman, fireman, accountant. So uh, there's an actress named Lily Tomlin, and she said, I knew I wanted to be something when I grew up. I wish I had been more specific. <laughs> and I read that and I thought, That's my great. life has been very colorful because I haven't been specific. I have uh, three degrees, one in marketing, one in philosophy, and one in design. And Ara, you have media and communications, but that doesn't necessarily define you or make you a better expert than someone who just learned advertising or digital marketing through Udemy or Coursera. So who I am now after 46 years on this planet is a person who wants to evoke change in others and rattle the cages. Um, I'm a professional shit disturber and I really didn't fit um, company life. I, I worked in the music industry. I worked in academia. I've worked in nonprofits. And as much as I thrived, there was always an expiry date. It was a self-set expiry date. And it was somewhere between a year and a half to two years where I started. The restlessness that's inherent in me was like, could I work with them? Or maybe there's a partner. It wasn't necessarily about jumping ship as we had spoken earlier before we started recording. So now I show up in the world as a facilitator, a coach, and a writer. And I, I think they all inform each other. Some people call it the trifecta. You write to think and you speak and facilitate to see if you're full of shit. <laughs> I know I can swear because I <laughs> the last podcast. I know. I, know. I do it too and often. And coaching is a really booming field. And there's a lot of literature and a lot of Instagram um, memes. I would say that my experience is now you don't need to have been in the shoes of the person you're coaching. So if you're coaching someone who's a Fortune 500 CEO, the fact that you have never been could be an asset. Alternatively, if that person is looking how to restructure and fire quickly and set up a new agency in, in Tokyo, then perhaps someone who's been there done that. And that person might be seen as a strategic performance coach. My coaching is coaching the whole person. It usually starts with work and it quickly bleeds into life, family, career, finances, mental health, physical health, community, 
relationships, et cetera. And I'm, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy because I get paid to learn pretty much. And I, I really pivoted my career several times to get to a point where I wake up and I get to like have conversations and challenge my assumptions and grow. So that's my spiel. That's oh my God. Crazy. You said so many things that instantly, you know, provoked me to say something or develop our conversation based on that, that I don't even know where to start. I'll, I'll start with something personal when you said about the coaching and that you start from professional, then it evolves to different personal, more personal aspects of life that I had exactly the same experience. So at a certain point when my uh, daughter, my oldest daughter, Emily was born and I started Indiad, um, I decided that I need support and I started working with a coach. She was back then. And I think the definition was positive psychologist or something like that. And I didn't know how quickly this professional topic is going to evolve into personal topics. Mm. You know, I said, I told her, I want to talk about how to build a company and I want to have the energy and all these great ideas. And, uh, you know, two, two sessions later, I were crying about my mother uh, or, yeah. or other things. So you can never know how these things <laughs> uh, yeah. develop. Um, and anyway, just as an anecdote, uh, as a comment to what you said. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my, one of my favorite, favorite stories, a very, to keep everything anonymous is a client was in the tech world, an engineer. And he said, the company was so great that they were paying for the coaching. So it's a different energy when, when the company's paying for you, which is going to point to some other stuff we're going to talk about around what are companies doing to um, enhance and add to the culture that they're building. So he's like, what should we talk about? And I was like, I don't know. And so we just started with, you know, I don't know, like, how to how to have clean code something like that and i'm like i have no idea what he's even talking about but i'm listening and eventually after five or six conversations he's in tears of joy <laughs> and he's cut himself a check uh and given himself permission to go back to being a startup founder and now is a flourishing startup um that helps engineers specifically with uh coding and specific coding languages And he reflects on that conversation as, as instrumental in giving himself permission to be and do the things that he wants to in the world. Now, I'm not saying that I'm the reason, but in some ways, coaching can accelerate that. Therapy can Absolutely. help heal. And um, your friends and support systems can be instrumental. But really, it comes down to, to you saying like, hey, I'm ready to like address some of my shadow selves or blind spots. And be more proactive in building a company that I, I I'm proud of and that Ara has stayed at for five years, which is incredible. Wood. And now, Ara, I remember that I was so impressed by the progress I make I made back then that you and I think even the second employee, I actually we paid for a couple of sessions with uh, Judith back then right it was a coaching like therapy co slash coaching um yes. and I, i thought it was amazing actually it's actually pretty needed back then so yeah. it was a great gesture from you i i didn't even remember that i swear uh it, it just came up uh right now um okay but let's let's tell our listeners maybe for the reason that you're here with us um and i think in order to do that 
maybe tell a bit, tell a bit about your book, Shapers, um, and then we can, let's say, steer the conversation towards our yeah. industry and in general employers. Yeah. So, well, we've got a little bit of time. I'll give you the background. In 2014, after 12 years of living in London, there was something that shifted in my thinking that um, the city is such a exciting place that you could actually discover and move to a different part and almost feel like you've traveled to a new country and reinvented yourself. So in 12 years, I, in many ways, was able to reinvent myself several times without leaving the city. Mm -hmm. Um, and there were a couple of friends or things that I was seeing of like digital nomads to use that term, like being really popularized. And it was already, there was a guy, uh, who's, Twitter handle is levels IO and he was doing 12 startups in 12 months. And he was working in Chiang Mai at the time, which was the number one place to work as a remote worker. Let's, let's use remote worker now. Get, so <laughs> oh, that sounds like a great idea. So whatever uh, you, whether you believe in manifesting or visioning or just moving in a certain direction, I was really serious about writing and I was working with the university at this point and the Dean of the university said, you should start building your authority. And I like had to like take the earwax out of my ear. I'm like, what does that mean? And it means thinking out loud and thinking in public and, and, and stop being scared of, you know, offending or not uh, pleasing everyone. Like that's crazy. And I'm a recovering people pleaser. So I started writing about the future of work or what I thought was the future of work. And I organized an event for advertising companies that were discovering a new model that was much more like Hollywood to contract and expand as needed to, to, to meet clients needs, but with a core team. And there's one company called Backscratchers that has now been acquired by work, not working. And Jody was there and a few other very smart, way smarter than me, uh, people talking about the future of advertising and the future of how models of organizing could, could work. And it was awesome. It was like buzzing and people were like, when's the next one? And so doing live events and writing created some, I guess, uh, on your website, it'd be like assets or media that you're then looking to optimize to use your, your language and the optimizing in, in that time and, and many people is to write a book. And so I got commissioned by a fancy co-working space in New York to write an ebook, which is, you know, in many ways a glorified PDF. So I took the money <laughs> and I went to Bali, which is what you do. And I got to Bali and I'm sitting there and it's sunny and the waves are beautiful. And I open up my computer and I'm sweating and I have my iced coffee and I, nothing's coming out on paper. And so I go surfing. And I really had a rocky start. Uh, I totally underestimated the discipline and the fortitude and the work life uh, design that you would need to be able to like travel and move around and be productive. And that got me curious about that. Like, what is this remote working, working from anywhere? It's a very... It's, it's an old idea that started almost in Japan and as well in, in Scandinavia of being able to telework 
in the mm-hmm. 60s and 70s, just, you just got on the phone. And if you did sales, you could do it from Osaka. Um, but this was a different thing. So I wrote about that. And Shapers, which is the name of my book, really solidified when I um, interviewed one of my close friends who's a surfboard shaper, which is why I was really curious about the board behind you, Adrian. <laughs> and his story, his name's Manny, was that he kept trying to fit in. He studied media and film. He got a job in that industry. He saw the incestuous nature. He saw how he had to be more um, of ego and testosterone to get up on the ladder. And he knew it wasn't for him. He wanted to basically be a documentary filmmaker or an anthropologist of sorts. And um, just out of habit or sort of out of um, um, necessity and also passion, he started to shape surfboards for his friends. And they were retro surfboards from the 70s. And everyone would make fun of him. Like, who's going to ride this weird fishtail with these funny fins? And he was ahead of his time. And sure enough, people would see it in the parking lots near Santa Cruz and San Francisco. And they would say, can you make one for me? And this is like now 15, 18 years ago. Pretty much at the same time, I was starting my entrepreneurial life. And he started to make these boards based on demand. And then at one point he realized, wait a second, I can actually do what I love. I can be creative. I can get energized by it. And I no longer think of work as work. It's somewhere between work and play. Now, if he was here, he'd be like, hey, Jonas, by the way, I'm in the, I'm in the shaping room for 16 hours a day with a mask on doing epoxy and all this. It's not that um, glorious. Uh, there's a truth to that. There is a lot of hard work. However, he is he is a shaper in my view and that he's actually um, seeing work as a practice to evolve. And what he works is actually enmeshed with his identity, which is a dangerous thing, but we could talk about that. So if we took away Indiad from Adrian, who would he be? Would he be a father? Would he be a guy in a Hawaiian shirt? So that's uh, my story of how I ended up writing this book. And the book goes through three parts. The first part is kind of looking at the individual, the work-life balance or the work-life blend, and um, really trying to understand that if the individual is healthy and regulated, then when they come to the company or to their team, they are a grown-up. And then you move into the second chapter or second part of the book, which is about self-management and fluid ways of working. And all of this was written in 2017, 2016, 17, and 18. And the pandemic was in 2020. So I had no idea that that was coming. And then the third part of the book is about the future of work and, and looking at um, the four-day work week, whether you like it or not, is actually going to help save our planet in terms of carbon emissions. The idea of Facebook, Amazon, Google, and Netflix being platform monopolies is unsustainable, whichever way you look at it. It doesn't work as a in market mechanism. So it talks about other forms of organizing that are in effect happening with Web3. So that's what I wrote. And then the pandemic came and I thought I'd be going around and doing workshops and I ended up doing everything online. And what everyone wanted is uh, work smarter, not harder. That was like what they wanted from me. And so I was like the optimized work <laughs> guy. 
and I actually vomit now in my mouth when I think about that. Because actually, <laughs> that's the exact opposite of what you should be doing. You should be building playgrounds with your kids and going bike riding. And exactly I didn't know that, and yep. I slowly found that out. So I learned my lesson. Anyway, so it's been a journey, and uh, this is actually my um, this is the artwork that a guy I met on Instagram did for me, and it's sort of this metaphor of the sun rising, and I still have these me- um, these notes or these uh, memories that take me back to how the writing was a journey of self discovery. I was writing and interviewing people to understand what it is I could do or be and what other people were doing. So I felt like I was more of an investigator trying to collate what are some of the best practices. I don't like that term, but good practices. And what are some of the people at the frontier organizations and leaders doing? That is incredible and super, super interesting. Um, When we spoke before we started recording, you mentioned something about the previous episode we recorded with Aram, and you said that I was lucky to start my own company after an environment I felt comfortable and supportive environment, but that was the maybe the only one that I've had. So I was lucky to leave from it, but I did have these experiences that you mentioned, and I think every thing I did as uh, for my employers or every employer I worked for before has changed something in me and kind of made decisions along the way that I don't want to be that kind of employer. And this is not how I want to treat my employees when I will be an employer. And you said, one of your sentences was that if your employees are healthier physically and mentally, they can then contribute more, participate more, not by time, but be more productive, deliver better results. Um, and that was something I, I remember I was obsessed with before I even had a company. You know, my wife would say, why would you think about these things now, right? You're mm. like a single preneur. You don't even have a company. And I said, you know what? Because that's the core to everything. If I'm not better than these, then all of that would be for nothing because I can earn money, enough money being employed, one of the big companies. I don't want that. Um, so I, I can really relate to that sentence. And I remember that back then, one of the most innovative companies was HubSpot, which is also yeah. digital. And, and they were the first ones, I think, in the world, or at least the ones that communicated better than anybody else, that they had a, a non-limited vacation time for employees, right? Ah, you can take as yes. much holiday as you want. And everybody like, wow, that's crazy. But I told everyone, I was like, guys, this is going to have, this is reverse psychology. Because if, if you're in Germany allowed to take 28 days and the guy next to you only takes 12, the pressure's on you. It's going to be a lot harder to take the extra days that you before deserved and you would take anyway because you have them. So just a couple of, of thoughts. And I said, I, I also don't want to be a gimmick. I don't want to play mm. with market rules and trends. I said, I want to look into things that can really impact people's life as an employer even of one person Ara was the first well we treat her as the first one uh, statistically she's not really the first but uh. <laughs> yeah who is employee zero is that you Adrian? Oh. no no uh, no no i don't refer to myself as an employee we had an employee that was uh let's say with us for a couple of months but we only started counting after he left. Okay. I also have to say, him. we forgot to mention in the past episode about this employee zero situation. He was there for three months. He was the senior campaign manager. 
nothing against him. He was a great guy, actually, in a personal level. Uh, not a good match with us, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but um, I was the newbie. Three months after I get in, Adrian calls me to the to the kitchen of the of the office and tells me, "I'm I, I'm thinking I'm letting him go. Um, will you step up to be now the the only campaign manager?" I was like, "What? <laughs> Are you serious?" Yes, yes, yes. It's happening. I saw him so convinced, and also, you know, just I was just starting. I was like, fine, and it and I made it happen in that way. But I also forgot to mention that in that episode, which is also an interesting fact of of the foundations of of India. How many flashes mm. did we have in the last in the last seven days just because of the conversation we occurred last week? Um, yes. So J Jonas, just to to connect the dots, and uh, I'll I'll throw a question at you straight. Um, how do you look at the current, you know, after COVID and we're now in 2022, how do you look at the employer market? Let's call it like this. And how do you think employers can really build better, build better relationship with employees or impact their lives positively in order to become better mm. employers? Yeah, good question. Um, I think... As a recovering uh, statistics and uh, future of work reports nerd who I would, I would download like the latest McKinsey report, which they have an interesting one where they've um, come up with five personas to, to talk about the worker mentality, uh, current sentiment. And they don't call it the great resignation. It's more of uh, adapting and and acknowledging what's real. And so the statistic that stood out for me in the last little while is depending on which report you read, most of employees are thinking about leaving. That's, that's a, that was, that was a fact, at least in North American culture. And that stat could be anywhere from 50% up to 80%. Now, if I ask you on a shit day, how's it going? And do you want to, are you thinking about leaving your company? You're going to be like, hell yeah. And if I ask you on a like on a on a pretty good day or on like you just won some business or did a presentation, you may not be thinking like that. So I think it's dangerous to be worried and operating out of a place of scarcity. If someone's going to leave, they're going to leave. And there's that great saying from the CFO or a, um, it's sort of a cartoon. What if we invest in our employees and they leave? And then but what if we don't? So that one still stands true, right? So um, the relationship that an organization could have with their um, employees, to me, is still rooted in biology and the science of as cities get bigger, they get smarter. And as organizations get bigger, they get stupider. <laughs> And it's because they weren't, weren't designed in the image of a human. They were designed in the image of a machine. So the companies that understand that, like you, already are way ahead. And the, everyone is now reorientating and re, like almost breaking, creatively destruct, destruct, deconstructing, and then rebuilding for the operating system to be human-centric and not just putting it on their website, like to have that lived. What does that mean? I can't answer uniformly, but it could be mental and physical well-being, 
flexible work policies, uh, support for learning and development and growth, no brilliant jerks, aka assholes, no toxic, uh, un- um, the same things that rule a tribe or a community, implicit rules, normalized behavior, rituals, and beliefs still apply to a culture. Your company is not at 150 employees or even at a state where there it's a organism that's becoming its own thing. In many ways, it's a reflection of you two and your values. And I know Angie. So Angie is a good fit. And I would say she's probably a culture ad. So now Absolutely. your next hires next year, when you do your rebrand and you start growing, are going to be less Adrian-esque. And now you're adding in a little bit of paprika and some pepper. Well, that's a metaphor. So uh, I don't have an answer of how to how to improve or enhance the relationship at a uniform level, but I would argue that there's something about acknowledging that the way we were working wasn't working. There's a new way of organizing that is much more about what can we learn, what do we know, what can we try, what's safe to try, and the idea of three-year, five-year growth plans and uh, predictability and reliability is even becoming further of um, something that people are holding on to. And this idea of resiliency and fluidity and adapting is now, not only has it been championed by agile and the tech world, but is now being embraced and necessary for all companies from hospitality to health tech to whatever. So that's my first stab at that answer, but maybe we can unpack <laughs> it. You actually don't have to say unpack it. Maybe we could chop it up some more. My friend told me to say chop it up. <laughs> let's, let's chop it up and see what else there is there. Uh, you mentioned the no asshole policy. So we also mentioned in our episode that uh, I actually had it in the job description. And I remember yeah. uh, LinkedIn wasn't working so well at the end. It brought Ara to us, to me. But, no, it was uh, LinkedIn not wasn't, LinkedIn. But n- not LinkedIn. Maybe indeed or one of the others. I was using one other platform and I get a call from the account manager and he says, your ad, your job description was rejected. And I was like, why? <laughs> like, because it says no assholes policy and this is Germany, you know, and it's a, it's a decent platform. You can't say that. And it's like, I literally told him, guys, if I cannot put it in my job description, I don't need you. And I do not yeah. want to have the job description published on your site. And the guy just go, okay, bye. Like, <laughs> as if I have any power to influence their policy. Um, yeah. But I was, uh, it was so important for me to have it there. Um, it didn't always work. I have to admit, not all of the employees we hired were a right match. But the ones that were not a culture add to us, they were not mm. paprika and you know pepper. They were Something other else. kind of weeds yeah. or whatever. Yeah, they didn't survive. It doesn't matter if the reason why we didn't like them or didn't work out. But the truth yeah. was that the people that we decided to hire and ended up not being a culture add, they were just chewed out and chewed and spit it out. I would say, and uh, as an expression, because it just didn't work. And they couldn't blend into our our way uh, our way of work, but let's let, let's let's continue to develop this this idea. Yeah, Ara, you want to say something? Yeah, no, no, no. I just want to say, which is not necessarily not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, these no. people for sure, and this is also kind of the interesting part of this that 
every single company has its own values and its own way of kind of reshaping or shaping their work culture. But if you don't fit in any, it's not a bad thing. It's just that you need to then go and find or reshape yourself into what works for you, I would say as well. I just I just wanted to, yeah. to say that in, in benefit yeah. of our old employees. <laughs> the team. Yeah. There's like some, uh, there's some fun words, because I like words, which would be like, people are not resources to be managed. They are assets to set free. And I use I free like, like in quotes, but also there's also logic that if you use command and control type style leadership, it leads to compliance. And if you give people agency, it leads to contribution. So when you say to Ara, hey, are you ready to step up after three months? You invite her to challenge her own belief system of what it, she's capable of. And when she flourishes, we fast forward to five years now. I actually just got like kind of like a head rush as I said that. Because I'm a slurpy. We fast forward and that was um, um, worth putting brilliant ass, no brilliant jerks or no assholes in the job spec, even though you had a few collateral damages or <laughs> things because you had to. You had to have those in order to get her. And I think a lot, yeah. a lot of those com- a lot of companies aren't willing to do that kind of take that kind of risk and they find themselves with compliance and like I, I quiet quitting, you know, this whole movement of like, you know, you can read tons of literature around that. It's like, that's nothing new. People have been doing as little as possible at work for a long time. My favorite is the guy who actually coded up his desktop to look like the software for the company, but really he was on Facebook and social media. So he was just <laughs> totally screwing off on company time. But when some people walked by his computer, they had no clue. He was that creative. I'm like, if, if you could actually be that innovative in your job to not work, why don't you just go and work somewhere and be innovative and be paid for it? Anyway, so. I think Absolutely. it's like the guy, the, the guy that, um, you know, during COVID, a lot of companies started with remote hiring. And I think there was a guy that ended up having like five parallel full-time contracts um, <laughs> or, or something like that, which is also very creative. Uh, yeah. if you can get that and manage it long enough in order to, uh, un- until you get caught, that, that was very impressive. Um, I, I want to look a bit outside the company because we talked a lot about India, but, um, I moved back to, to Israel, which is my home, home country. And after 13 years in, in Munich and working remote for the last two years, I just said, you know, fuck it. If, if I can work for my living room in, in Munich, uh, for two years, It wouldn't make any difference if I sit in Israel, which is also close to the time zone. It's not a big difference. Um, and I look into the the big high-tech market of, of Israel, right? It's known all over the world uh, where, where the uh, high-tech and, co- and the startup country, and there's a lot of money that's being poured into the ecosystem here. And the fight for talent is simply incredible. Between startups and large companies, It's just incredible. And what I end up seeing is that they have like a secret fight, it seems, like a secret competition of who makes the biggest parties, who invites the hottest pop stars as a show for their employees as a part of the party. And I cannot help but sit and think, do you think that any of them cares about that? They go post it on Instagram and then they go the next morning, the moment that they the moment that they have a shit morning 
or they don't feel like working or their boss says something, just like you described before, they say, I'm going to leave. And there's so many other options that pay at least as much. So why, why do these companies believe that these external motivation gimmicks are what's going to create retention? To be honest, everybody enjoy that, but I don't think anybody cares so much. Yeah, that's a good question. My, my firm belief in actually speaking to people at Airbnb and Facebook is on one hand, it's a reality distortion field. So leaders who are not in touch with reality. Um, there's also elements of um, ego and, and showmanship. And um, it's really triggering, triggering me back to when I lived in San Francisco in the late 90s and Y2K was coming and there was the first dot-com boom, which is um, the reason why you have reality distortion feet uh, field is the same reason that we see Elon Musk, um, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, mostly male, uh, even the fellow Adam, Adam Newman, who are modeling a hero entrepreneur, grow or die. And that's a very dangerous um, manifesto, right? Uh, so I can also speak about the Israeli psychology and startup nation because I have a little bit of understanding of that. But putting that aside, I think there's that when people are suffering from groupthink and no longer able to say, like, actually, would I want my kid to grow up in this dog eat dog, wolf of Wall Street culture? No. Then why would I build a business that that champions that? So that's yeah. that's that's a, a sort of like a hippie utopian philosophy or like a kibbutznik philosophy against <laughs> market capitalism. But at the same time, I was invited to a party with James Brown playing for free and all you can eat sushi south of market in San Francisco. It was, I mean, it was right out of one of these Netflix episodes, startup. And it was exactly as you described 22 years ago. And my friend was like, I'm going to go work for them. I was like, what do they do? And they're like, they, I, I think they're like, like pets.com. They basically sell pet product online. Like it wasn't pets.com, but it was the equivalent. And I was like, well, what are you going to do for them? And they're like, I'm going to do HTML coding. And I was like, what's that? And like, it's just like what they built WordPress on. And I was like, do you know how to code? They're like, kind of, not really. I just do cut and paste right now, but I got the gig. <laughs> they were getting a lot of money and they were going to learn how to code which you could learn in a boot camp on the job and get a yeah. lot of money. So I think that that is the carrot and stick come work from us for money and notoriety. And what I'm finding with my coaching clients is when alignment of values is absent, it doesn't matter what perks you have. It's irrelevant. It's the golden handcuffs of, of Google and the average tenure at Google, which is a crazy statistic is one year. It's a, it's a revolving door. Wow. wow, wow. So I'm, anyway, I'm an ex-Googler. It's like, no shit, you're an ex-Googler. Everyone's an ex-Googler. Like, show me a Googler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud to not have ex-Google on my LinkedIn profile statement. You know, everybody puts their ex-Netflix, ex-Google, ex-whatever. Yeah. I, I just have ex-XX. Sorry. I would also like to, to point out something. Um, when... 
as an employee or, or acting myself as the only employee of this conversation um <laughs> when this situation happens when you in my like me right like you find this unicorn as i call it that happened to be my first job which is extremely uh, confusing for me in many ways and it has been for five years because you kind of are co-creating this type of new way of working like me and Adrian you in, in, the, in this case me I feel super like valuable in this way with with the partnership that Adrian and I kind of developed throughout the years and my biggest fear one of my biggest fears as an employee is I look at out, outside all the agencies I have gotten like kind of offers or like interviews, proposals and stuff like that. And then I look at no, the jobs. No, you didn't. <laughs> I did. <laughs> but uh, I mean, the thing is, most of these agencies is the exact same thing as like you just mentioned. I can see the desperate need for talent because they're always rotating, always open in the same positions over and over again. Um, I even speaking with Adrian, I know how they work because some of these agencies Adrian had also experience with. And I was always like, okay, as much as I'm like, oh my God, it's amazing and growing and keep on changing and keep on developing. Blah, blah, blah. At the same time for me, it's like this fear of, oh my God, I'm going to land in another company to be super, probably super unhappy because now I'm like spoiled by this type of way of working. Um, that actually makes me happy in that way. Um, so what would you say to this type of phenomena in my case, Jonas? Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, I got to say something that could be interesting is, you know, there's a professor that probably some people know on this podcast, Jordan Peterson, who's actually no longer a professor. And he says that women are chaos and men are order which is quite controversial, but as a scientist and a psychiatrist, the argument is that if women's emotional intelligence is a currency that's now valued in the workplace, that the women that I've worked with, including Angie and another woman named Christy, who's a superstar, are the types of people that if I had the vision, I would have said, do not go anywhere. I will go and chop trees and find ways to give you meaningful, great work. But I, one, I, much to say, uh, Adrian's point of view was a solopreneur at that time, 15, 18 years ago. And they were untainted. They hadn't worked in a company or an organization that had given them that bad taste. So they thought that this was it. And so Angie went and worked with Paint Gun and then did a bit of work with me and now she's there. Right. And so I met someone from buffer who had graduated from college was hunting down buffer because of their open buffer, um, blog and was like, I, you know what? I ha I have to say that I took a lot of inspiration by all yeah. of buffers, open information. And they did a great yeah, service. A, I think for they are. Yeah. And there's a point to the story. So I was obsessed as well. So I was like, I'm going to, interview the head of PR and see like how she came to be at Buffer or actually I just wanted to understand Buffer's culture. And she said, I graduated in media and communications. I knew how to do social marketing. And uh, I had this idea that I would just go to Bogota and work remotely. This is like seven years ago. And when I got my job offers from the 
the, the it companies in San Francisco, New York, <laughs> I said to them, yes, but I'll be working in Bogota. And they all res- rescinded, took back their offers, except for Buffer. Um, actually, she, she moved to Bogota, started working remotely, kept nagging Buffer, and then got the job once she gave herself permission to know her worth. And I think that there's, that's, as I'm speaking, I realize that that's interesting that you believed in yourself, Ara, to apply for it when you were traveling and then meet Adrian and not really talk too much about, you know, programmatic marketing and ad tech, but like, what, what is it? What is this? What are we building? So I think it's a mix of the individual and I'm mentioning women because of the higher EQ that men are coming in doing like, you should hire me because I've got a lot of offers. And I mean, this is black and white. I mean, I, there's always a lot of men who have emotional intelligence as well. Of course. Of and course. then women are coming in saying like, you know, you want someone who can communicate. That's what I do. That's what we do. We collaborate and communicate and we're social by nature and we don't need to have our armor on. And that's what you want. If you want to build lasting relationships with clients who are going to grow with us and be with us because they trust us and like us, not because they don't have an opportunity to go to a competitor. So which that's is why, uh, one, one theory, yeah. Which is exactly why Ara is employee number one. So if yeah. we look into, I mean, she mentioned that employee employee zero, um, although he had more experience, he was the one that was let go back then because we had to take a step back. And the point was that we as an agency or as a service company, regardless of which industry, it's it doesn't matter what you do, or I would put it differently, what you do matters just as much of how you do it and the relationship with the client, you know, when everything works great, then it's great. But when everything is shit and things are sometimes shit, then it's only the relationship that's going to decide whether they stick with you and they work with you together or not. And the e- uh, what you mentioned is EQ is exactly the reason why I opted in for ARA because I know I said, whatever happens, it's going to be a learning process, but mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot harder to teach another person of how to, communicate and how to do service or build relationship and the other person i can say employee zero is a great guy but he's not really good at building relationship and ara made such a strong impression i said it doesn't matter how long it takes us to get to the results that we need the clients will be with her on her side just as much as she's on theirs yes and you know there's a couple things so carbon copies came up while you were speaking of like you know the types of people that are passive aggressive and use carbon copies to cover their ass are kind of in the ballpark of brilliant jerks that you don't really want to have around instead of picking up the phone and be like, Adrian, I'm a bit confused here. The client said this, I'm going to go say this. Is that what we should do? And using that type of mm, um, courage to not be afraid of either looking weak and being vulnerable and or fucking up. Uh, and, you know, so that's one thing. And the other thing is like, there are per, there are some people who need dissatisfaction and need negativity and toxic environments to be the creative fuel to go out and build the better future for themselves. You happen to be at an exception that was like, hmm, I wonder if I could figure this out without having to be hit over the head and then kicked in the stomach and then come out the other end and then find Adrian kind of battered. 
Oh no, that happened. Don't get me wrong. I had an image of myself that was completely not correct. I, you know, um, uh, that we also forgot to mention a little bit oh. in the past episode. But it's, a, it's an interesting fact for this topic. Um, Adrian is as great as he is, and obviously the last episode is everything true than what happened. But in between those lines, of course, like every relationship. Uh, we had our ups and downs, and there were times where Adrian, as the leader he is, and passionate and, and everything, and perfectionist and everything, he used to have certain attitudes that I was really not agreeing with at all. I'm a recovering rageaholic, if to use one of your expressions. Yeah. Ah. And the first month especially, I would say that even the first year or even two, we had several conversations in which I had the openness and I'm also pointing this out because Adrian, as rigid whatever he was, he's always open for feedback and for having an honest conversation. And for me to be able to speak with my boss and tell him, dude, take this right. down a notch, you know, like this is no, not. No, that good. was a lot more aggressive than that. I was on the, I, I remember yeah. I was in a car on the way to the airport to a business trip and Ella called me and says, you cannot talk to me like that. Now we need to start talking about how how we move away, like how we move forward from this point, because this is not moving forward and I would not tolerate this bullshit. Don't ever talk to me like that. Mm. I don't this know if good. I said bullshit. She, I sounded no, strong. no, this is, this is my yeah. language and you don't, yeah. you're not as aggressive and I am making that statement, but this is literally what you said. You literally said, yeah. I do not allow you anymore to do this. And now let's find a way. And I spent one and a half hours in, or we spent one and a half hours in the car talking about how to talk, how to speak with one another in order for this to work. Yeah. I have, like, this was a longer talk about a topic like that than I've ever had with my wife to that point. <laughs> then I also, I also took the learning and I went home and I told her the same. I don't allow you to talk to me like that anymore. And that, but that had a, n not such a positive effect as the, as the conversation I had with Anna. <laughs> oh my God, this is good. Okay, so one thing I was saying, this is really unique because I was thinking more about the people I've encountered who have come out of a toxic work environment and are really committed to themselves to not repeat that. And I'm talking about people who are in their 50s that I've been working with and as well as people who are 27. So that's interesting. You have happened to have navigated that over the last five years within the same company and had those rocky bumps, which leads me to like someone like uh, a psychiatrist, Esther Perel, who's very famous, is going into what workplaces to do this type of work because the relationships at domestic home level are mimicked and in many ways um, um, alive in the workplace. And and some one example was like, a company was a, a real unicorn, like billion plus, like several hundreds of billions. And they hired that was hired her, I think, and or Brene Brown, maybe both of them. And they said, like, the CTO said, like, why is she here? Like, why wow. do we have this person walking around with us? We're doing great. Like, look at our quarterly reports. Look at our we're, we're crushing our competitors. We just and it, and then the person turns and says, because the CEO and the CTO want to kill each other. Like they actually want to, they want to murder each other. That's the problem. And if they want to murder each other, what, what are the, what, what behavior is that modeling? Yeah. And then the final thing is that there's a really big nonprofit actually is based in Israel and in New York. 
And they, I've done some work with them and they have been really trying to navigate the boundaries that leaders set for themselves about emailing at night, hustle culture and modeling behavior throughout the organization. And I said, I don't have a, a, a download or a hack or a solution, but I can say much to what you said is that it really requires discipline, consistency, and even almost an area that I'm focused on and interested in is like rituals of we shut our laptops down at Friday. We turn off the network on the weekend. You can't send the email or I use timestamps. So if I'm sending something to someone in Israel or in the Europe, I will timestamp it. So it shows up in their business workday as opposed yeah. to like at midnight. I mean, I'm not working necessarily in the same place where Ara is going to get an email from me saying, did you look at that campaign? So that to me is a, a constant re renavigating and resetting of boundaries or policies or protocols of how the company sails their ship, which is really about individuals and teams. Absolutely. It's, it's so funny. I like we're 47 record already almost 48 minutes. And I want to keep I thought, going for more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, 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 not, it's not about that. I, I, I was really, uh, here's what I was about to say. I thought that we're going to have a holy grail moment. I mean, we have you, Jonas, here, and you're an author, and you are a public speaker about these topics, and I thought we're going to have, like, typical marketing, right? The five things you must do <laughs> in order to be an amazing employer, and at the end, it boils down to the basics. People, values, and that's it. Because everything else is a derivative of those two things. I mean, yeah, that's right. How, how to build a healthy culture could really be reframed as how do leaders have others want to follow them? And how do you build high trust cultures? Because if you have people that follow leaders and leaders are shaping a new reality. Leaders are getting great work done through others and leaders are growing other leaders. Like you've made Ara, uh, you didn't make her anything. You gave her a runway to become yeah. a leader yeah. and therefore she trusts you and you trust her. So instead of saying, how are we going to intelligently design a culture that's like Apple? Well, do you really want to be, you know, sort of a legacy of Steve Jobs coming in screaming about the screw being the wrong screw behind the uh, computer. Perhaps, perhaps you want to be like a design, you know, militant person, or <laughs> you actually want to go back to what you just said, which is people and values. Really, that's the heart of it. At the end, I think that the example is, um, you know, most business people would tell you that the example is a bit extreme because companies want to make money and most of them believe that if you go soft like the examples we're giving here you're not going to earn money right because people can say look at what steve jobs did at apple and that's an amazing company and i can say i'm an apple uh client and everything's fine but nobody wonders what would have happened if steve jobs would have been different everybody imagined that it would have been worse but could it have mm. been better Mm. Yeah, that's the right Dude, question, put, right? Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah, that's a really good um, uh, provocation. And you know, there's a guy named Ricardo Sem Semler from Brazil. He wrote mm -hmm. a book called Maverick. 
And when he got hired into his father's legacy company that does crazy manufacturing, he was 21 years old, 22 years old, out of Harvard. And he knew in, his, in, in the, every fabric of his being that he had to fire the whole, like, you know, Harvard, Ivy League, male, old farts. And he literally cleaned house and he moved to <laughs> self-management. And, and self-management is really like managing yourself and having a company where leadership and hierarchy is based on relational as opposed to positional. So I might be Ara's boss, but she might know she might know more about the project. So she becomes the lead. She doesn't take my job title, but I don't care if like she's doing the leading on this role. I'm supporting her, sort of servant-based leadership. And that has now it's like 50 years since we started to see this shift. And his company is flourishing. And companies like Hair, the fridge manufacturer in China, that's also moved on to these um models, I'm a big fan of them because they've proven what can happen when when the CEO is like, let's just use Steve Jobs, is like an anti-Jobs, anti-Jobsian. It's not command and control. It's much more, um, it's called Y-shaped leadership, enabling, empowering, ennobling, supporting. We're back to female values. It's the female energy that will guide the next century otherwise we're going to be completely royally we're gonna finish getting each other <laughs> in a way well we'll just we'll just yeah put an end there'll be the, this podcast or the mac computer will be well i actually thought this when i was a, i was a member of WeWork for many years i was like how are they how is this working at one point i was like i was it was so vivid it was going to be a western movie and there'd be a WeWork sign creaking and there'd be like these <laughs> wires and it would just be like dust everywhere and you get like this sort of zombie worker coming out of there like, and now i drive by we work and i think about these amazing coffee shops vancouver is like next to seattle and probably italy the coffee city of the world full of prolific software engineers data scientists digital marketers academics working and buying their coffee for their membership and then the glorified uh, co-working space, which is in effect a hotel, restaurant, gym that also happens happens to have a really nice lobby, uh, Soho House in in mm-hmm. Amsterdam, or mm-hmm. and then and then the Regis's and all of these other spaces competing for in a in effect a real estate game. Um, anyway, so that's a whole other thing around like where we work can also be very important, but companies that got it right with people and values like a community, like a tribe create a environment that people want to hang out in and and wordpress figured that out before the pandemic of why don't we go to hawaii have a retreat have everyone meet each other or 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 see each other again and then we can go back to working really well it's like storming norming performing like get like get back in make sure we're still like hey oh wow you're really tall i didn't know that i've never seen you in real life I've made, I've made so many amazing friends in the last two or three years and I still haven't met them. And my goal, and I'm saying this out loud for 2023 is to actually meet three of them, one in Vancouver, one in Portugal, and one who's moved to Virginia. And, um, I want to see these people and cause I work with them and I, and I'm inspired by them. 
Amazing. I don't need to be in their same room with them every day. Like, actually, I wouldn't right. want that. I'd be like, no. you smell. You should. <laughs> but 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 we have that example as well. Look, we are a remote team. Most of us work remotely. We have four people that we met in person recently. only after we've hired them. And recently, and Ara celebrated not long ago her 12th birthday, 16th, right? Something like that. And just, yeah. <laughs> and they all went to Berlin to celebrate with her. Yeah, I invited my colleagues to Berlin. You invited, that's birthday. one thing, but they all came. They yeah. all Wait, I just spent 12th birthday? Where, no, I'm joking. You know, like, no, oh, I'm just oh. making fun of Ara to not oh. disclose her actual <laughs> my identity. age. The identity. Oh, but we're okay. talking about remote colleagues that yes. spend of their own money to travel 600 kilometers to celebrate the birthday with her inside Germany. I See, that was a, all, that was a mind blowing moment for me. Yeah. That's the proof is in the pudding. Yes. So that's you've done something right. And it's very commendable. And I got to say, uh, back to say Angie and meeting you two, you know, you want us, if you can spend your life with good people at work, that affects everything else. 100%. Alternatively, you spend your uh, life with good people and you come to work with toxicity. Let's just use that. And it leads back into what was uh, healthy and you spoil the well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So to finish, I will, because I cannot shut up, I'll make, I'm going to lay my, let's say, idea or the ultimate idea about this topic, and I'll ask you the same. I wouldn't ask you for a top five, but kind of your okay. vision for... Um, top three. <laughs> in, top three, top six. Uh, but I leave the last statement to you because I want you know the, the okay. listeners to to have the professional and the the, the expert you know with the, with the last statement. The schools, right? My, my Emily, the oldest daughter, she started her first grade this year. And... I still, with all the progress that the schools here made, I still have a feeling these are, this is the same education system for the past 100 years. It's a part of the uh, Industrial Revolution. And they were created to fit a certain economy. And nowadays we're talking about employers and the change we want to do in employers and which impact do they have. And I think that it's the responsibility of the economy again, not the schools, to change the education system. The education system has not taught children how to deal, how to develop emotional quality it was all about mm. grades and skills. It did not teach us life skills. I mean, we developed it because we were a part of a group or wanted to be a part of a group. And I think that just like we said at the beginning, um, physical health, nutrition to a certain level, uh, mental health, it's the responsibility of the employers more than the governments, more than schools. They should impact everything in order to make the world a better place. And the thing that I don't understand about that statement is that it's going to make them more money, not less money, just in a different way. Mm. Mm. You kind of drop this like... Um, I know. <laughs> I would say it's a steak, but maybe it's like tiramisu, it's a dessert. So, you know, have you ever heard of Ken Robinson? The he has the most famous TED Talk ever. Yeah, uh, Sir Ken Robinson, right? Sir, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's called "How Schools Creativity." How schools kill creativity. 
Yeah. And I love that talk and I love his books. So I think anyone who's listening, like he's got something there. I challenge you to think about it as not necessarily the sole responsibility of markets and economies and business. Although I, I, I agree with your sentiment. I think that they should, should lead the way because they're the ones that are doing the hiring. They're the ones that are building the economic future. But the global polity, which includes academia, it includes government, it includes citizens, actually have to be on board, just like climate change or climate emergency as, as it should be rebranded. And so I have friends that are fans of Montessori schools. I have friends that are fans of um, situated and exper experiential learning. And I remember seeing something that was like, what if in like maybe grade one or grade three, you actually had a class that modeled scenarios that will happen. So Jimmy comes in and starts crying and he's an actor and you just <laughs> watch what the kids do. And one kid goes and consoles Jimmy and says, Jimmy, is everything okay? What's wrong? And the other doesn't know what to do. So they leave the room because they don't know how to deal with sadness and to then unpack, unpack, chop it up after and really teach resiliency, emotional intelligence, positive psychology in a way that is um, palatable and um, um, fitting for that current age and that environment until waiting until they're 18 or 16 and they have a similar thing and they're like their operating system short circuits. That to me is really powerful. And I don't know the answer. Uh, I, I feel like the pace of academia by design is out of sync with business and it has been for so long. So that's why you're seeing like um, a challenge to the status quo around, should I get the MBA? Should I do MIT online or should I actually fly to Boston? Should I do a digital boot camp or should I mentor under Adrian at Indiad? I really believe this should be part two and I, I would love to continue on and we can start with education and maybe bring in, I have a friend, Mo Ling, who's a design management uh, lead in London at the biggest arts university. And she has so much to say about what's wrong, but then also a lot to say about what's hopeful. There's yeah. pockets of things happening, but it's almost like they need to be um, bridges need to be built so that the, the walls can be torn down. Berlin wall can be torn down. Got to get a metaphor in there at the end. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to, I'm going to say like that actually would be investing in your child's future and then the future of all future workers. I can just say, thank you. Really. Uh, I appreciate it that you spent the time with us and shared all of your wisdom and experience. And I don't know in which model as part two or in which forum we'll do that, but I have no doubt that we're going to have some kind of a follow-up. Um, cool. I have Beautiful. no words. Like really, I've ne I've never finished an episode like that, but I really have no words, and this is so inspiring. And I'm really thankful for you uh, that you took oh, the time wow. to to be here. Uh, you know, likewise, I, I knew that it was going to be fun listening to you guys do your last podcast, and um, I really like that sentiment at the end, which I know where it's coming from. Is if you can build a company that your daughter would be proud of, her father when she comes to. What does your father do? He's an entrepreneur. What's that? Oh, he builds companies. Oh, what's that for? It's a place that we get to go 
and continue to learn and grow and create as opposed to be slaves or to be exploited, whatever the old model was. And you, you're, yeah. you're doing that. So uh, I'm very grateful that Angie made this intro and I'd love to do part two. We can maybe mix up the format or we can invite someone else in. Absolutely. So, okay. Thank you, Jonas. Jonas, Thank you so much. Get some sleep, keep in touch and send this to me when it's ready and I'll share it out to the, to the world. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for joining another episode of add to the bone. We hope you enjoy this episode. If you didn't have the chance to listen to episode 15, the one we're referring to with Ara, the prequel, as we call it, um, do it now. I think you'll get a lot of context and you'll understand a lot more of the topics that we discussed here with Jonas. Um, as a reminder, we are an independent production of India. So if you find this content valuable, I'll ask you to share it with your colleagues, peers, bosses, or whoever you believe can benefit from it. And also take five seconds to rate us on your favorite podcasting app, the one you're currently using to listen to us. That would be really helpful and will support us in producing more valuable content for you and for the programmatic ad tech and marketing community. Thanks again for joining us. Until next time, have a wonderful day.